deeper dive into the books of the Bible. Greetings and welcome to Pondering the Bible. I'm your co-host, Ken Corkins. This is Season 6, Episode 6, and we pray that we're sponsored by the Holy Spirit. Not with me is my longtime friend and pastor, Rocky Ellison. Let me explain. Here in North Texas, we've had ice for the last few days, and it doesn't look like it's going to clear up until Friday. Now, normally we would postpone the recording of the episode, but unfortunately, Rocky has to go out of town this weekend. Well, since we can't safely get together to record the podcast, we decided to present the sermon from Sunday, January 29th, entitled, Following? With a question mark. Please enjoy, and know that we'll be back next week. And as always, remember to love God and be nice to people. So last week, Jesus is in the synagogue, and uh, he's preaching, but he's preaching under his own authority. Instead of quoting the great rabbi he learned from, he's talking on his own for God, and that is just an unheard of thing. And then suddenly a man with a demon speaks out. He calls Jesus the Holy One of God. And in that one move, then he gives Jesus the authority to speak on behalf of God. Jesus performs a quick uh, uh, exorcism, and then they leave the synagogue. That's essentially the end of the worship service, and I can see why something like that would be the end of of worship for that day. They travel to Peter's house. His mother-in-law is sick. Jesus heals her of her fever, which shows that he doesn't just do this for publicity and to build a following. Healings will take place in private when the rest of the community can't see Uh, just as well as out in public. The crowds swarm the house, uh, and Jesus spends the rest of the day into the early hours of the morning healing people of their sicknesses. Now, they're not coming to hear the message. They just need relief from whatever is physically hurting them. And towards the end of the, uh, of the, the night, Jesus needs to recharge. He needs a break. He needs a a, a little recharging. And so he goes off, as he always does in the Gospel of Mark, to pray. And he's praying silently by himself. And the text tells us that the, the four disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, come to him. They seek him out. In fact, in the Greek, what it says is they hunted him down. And it's meant to be hostile. They seek him out. Hey, there are people who still need help. What are you doing sitting here praying by yourself when we've got ministry to do? You called us to follow you. Well, how about you get back to the main job, get back up to the house, start healing the rest of the people. And that's when Jesus says to them, we're done here in Capernaum. I know when I called you, you thought we were just going to stay here in your hometown and just do ministry for your family and your friends. But we're leaving. We're taking this show on the road. We're going national. So you need to decide, are you really going to follow me or not? This is when the rubber hits the road for those four. I became a pastor in 1993. Uh, I was little more than a Sunday school teacher at that time. Jackie and I had been struggling trying to figure out if I was being called to ministry or not. And one day the phone rang, and it was the district superintendent saying, how would you like to be the pastor of the church in Ponder? So when people say, how did you get your calling? I go, it was a call. (laughs) That's how it happened. 
and I loved it, and I was so grateful to God. Thank you. I, I used to pray every day, God, thank you for knowing me so well that you called me to pulpit ministry in a small church. That's where I thrive. That's where I belong. And, and you know me well enough that you, you put me exactly where I should be. Um, thank you, thank you for not making me a chaplain. Uh, being in a hospital, dealing with the, the ill and the dying man, I am just not, I am not built for that kind of ministry. That wouldn't have worked for me. You were wise enough to know that. Uh, thank you for not making me a chaplain in a prison. You don't want any part of that. Uh, thank you for not making me a missionary. Uh, packing up my family every few years, traveling from one town to another or even out of the country. Lord God, I just, I, that I'm not that kind of a person. And you know me so well, you put me right where I belong. Thank you for your call. Well, three, four years go along. It's, it's 1998. We were in the old church, the old building. And my family and I used to be the last ones out of the building. Uh, every Sunday morning, we would unplug the coffee pot, turn off the lights, make sure the air conditioner was turned down, and then walk out front. I'd lock the doors. We'd walk down the steps, and we were the last ones into our car to leave the building. And uh, one Sunday morning, we're getting all finished up. In fact, I'm just finishing up locking the door. I turn, uh, walk down the steps, and this this huge car comes screaming into the parking lot. Uh, remember how big cars were in the in the 80s and the 90s, land yachts? Well, this is this is a you know a 45 foot long Oldsmobile that comes <laughs> screaming into the parking lot. And we had a gravel parking lot back then, so it literally is spraying gravel everywhere. Uh, car comes to a screeching halt. Four adults jump out. Two men. Two women, uh, and one of the women, the women who jumped out of the front seat says, we made it. And I said, no, you didn't. Church is over. You're an hour late. And she says, no, 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 no. I'm not here for church. I'm here for the wedding. I said, no, no, you got the wrong place. There is no wedding taking place here. And she says, no, no. I called and I talked to the pastor and he's doing my wedding. And I said, no, you didn't because I'm the pastor and you and I have never had a conversation of any kind. And she says, you're not Pastor Steve? And I said, I've never heard of Pastor Steve. She says, he's not in, in, in Ponder? And I said, this is a one-horse town, sweetheart. There's me and Brother Kim, and that's your only choices. There is no Steve. And she says, well, if you're the pastor. <laughs> like, no, 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 I do not work like that. Uh, I would require counseling with you, make sure this is a good match. Um, I'd have to get to know your life stories so that it could be a personal wedding. It's not, this, I don't do anything like this. This is not what I do. I'm sorry. This is not where you belong. You'll have to go away. And she just starts sobbing, just crying, almost shrieking. And her, her tears, her wedding makeup is running down her face. And she just, but this is the only time we can do this. And Carl has to go to work and I'm not going to get another day off for three weeks. And she's just, and she's just, she is just bawling and beside herself and she's shaking. Uh, and I look over at Jackie and she's going, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> but she's crying. Ah. Okay, it's not going to be much of a wedding. Um, I have no musicians here, so you're not going to get any music. I don't know you, so I'm not going to do anything personal for you. Um, we will go back in. I will do it out of the Methodist hymnal. It's going to take five minutes. It will qualify. You will legally be married, but it, it's going to be a, uh, it's not much of a wedding. She says, oh, thank you, thank you. So we go back. We unlock the doors. We go back. Turn the lights back on. Turn the hair back up. Uh, 
we do this weird little five-minute wedding, get them all done. They go out of the church, get back in the, in the cruiser and sail away. And we come out and we lock up the doors and get in our car. Uh, and I said two things to Jackie, both wrong. Uh, I said, uh, well, that's the weirdest wedding we're ever going to do. <laughs> Turns out not true. Uh, and I said, and we'll never see them again. So I guess that's a good thing. Next Sunday comes and the wife comes to church. Her name is Joanne and she starts participating with us. In fact, she becomes a regular Sunday attender. She's there at worship. She's at the women's meetings. If there's vacation Bible school, she participates. She becomes a, a fully active participant member of the church. Now, Carl, the husband, you know, I see him at Christmas and Easter and that's it. Uh, but, but Joanne becomes a valued member of our congregation. And a, a year and a half, two years go by, uh, and one, one night I get a phone call, and it's Joanne, and she's crying. I said, Joanne, what's wrong? And she says, Carl's in jail. He's going to be in jail for an entire year, and he doesn't even get a trial. I said, man, that, just, that doesn't sound very American. I have a hard time believing that. She's like, no, that's what they told me. Jail for a year, no trial. I said, well, as it, as it turns out, the chaplain at the prison is, uh, is a Methodist. I've met him several times. I know him. Would you like me to call him and see if I can get you a little more information? She says, sure, that would really be nice. So I go, okay, great. So uh, next morning, the Monday morning, I call the prison. It takes me a while, but I eventually get hooked up with Phil, who is, is the chaplain. So Phil, here's the deal. You know, I got, uh, I got one of the guys from my church, Carl. He's, he's in jail there, and his wife's trying to tell me he's going to be there for a year without even getting a hearing. Uh, can, you, can you shed any light on this? Can you help me at all? And so he starts, I can hear him clicking and clacking on his keyboard. Remember what it was like before the internet when you used to try and make an airline reservation, and it would take them 25 minutes of clickety-clack, clickety-clack, just to find out if there was an aisle seat open? It was like at... Phil just keeps typing and typing and typing. And eventually he says, okay, here's the deal. He says, your boy Carl stole four or five cars in the state of Pennsylvania. He says, and he parked them all out in his front yard and tried to open up a used car dealership. <laughs> so Carl's not going to be inducted into Mensa anytime soon. He says, and of course, they caught him immediately, so he went to trial. He had his trial. It was in Pennsylvania, and uh, he was assigned a two-year prison sentence. He says, now, after one year, they let him out on parole. He said, and he was supposed to stay in Pennsylvania and serve his parole there, checking in with a parole officer once a week. He says, the morning he got released, that morning, before he had even met his parole officer, Carl started hitchhiking. Some woman picked him up and brought him back to Texas, drove back here with him. He says, and by the time they got back here, they decided they were in love and some idiot married them. <laughs> oh, there's a reason why we have rules. Oh. Said, okay. He said, so your boy Carl, he had his trial. He had his sentence. Uh, he's going to serve that full year here in Texas. We make a lot of money from out-of-state inmates, and so he's, he's got one full year to go. I said, okay, thanks. I, I, I will let his wife know what's going on. And, uh, and I'm just about to, to hang up the phone, and he says, would you like to come visit him? In jail? <laughs> no. <laughs> sure, Phil, that would be great. He says, yeah, let me get that all set up for you. So I 
type, 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 type. He said, oh, hey, hey, why don't you come on down here? I'll, I'll get you in. So drive down to the Denton County Prison. First time in my entire life I had ever been in any kind of an incarceration uh, facility, you know, big huge bulletproof doors that slide back on an automatic control and guards behind glass and then someone comes out and they search me and and eventually they walk me into a small room and uh, just like you see on TV, you know, big sheet of glass, phone on my side, phone on the other side, I pick up my phone, they bring Carl in, he picks up his phone. Uh, you know, hey Carl, how you doing? He's like, I'm in jail, how do you think I'm doing? Like, okay, I guess that makes sense. So we, we talk a little bit and uh, finally said, okay, well, you know, I think I've said everything I've got to say. I'm, I'm going to get out of here as quickly as I can. I'm going to leave now. And he says, hey, I need a favor. And I said, what's that? And he says, well, could I call Joanne and talk to her at the church? I said, well, why would you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to just talk to her at your home? And he says, well, you can't call into the prison. You can only call out. The calls are uh, collect phone calls. He says, and they're really expensive. It's $25 for 10 minutes. He says, I, and we can't afford that. He says, especially with me here in jail, there's just absolutely no way Joanne can afford that. So um, could I call her and talk to her at the church? I thought about it for a minute. I said, you know, Carl, the church is not made of money. We're, we're on a pretty tight budget as, as it is. Um, he said, but I'll tell you what. You couldn't be bothered to come to church when you were on the outside now you need a big favor from me. So I will tell you what, Carl. You go to church here in jail, right? You go to church next Sunday. I'm going to come back next Monday. I do not want to come back to the jail, but I will come back next Monday. Uh, and if you can tell me what the sermon was about, I will let you call Joanne and talk to her for 10 minutes. He says, okay. It's like, all right, great. So walking out the, uh, the door of the prison going, why did you say yes? What, what were you thinking? So week goes by. Next Monday, I come back to the prison, um, go through all the procedures, into the room, pick up the phone. There's Carl. He picks up the phone. And I said, so, Carl, what was the sermon about yesterday? And Carl says, we don't have church uh, here in jail. There is no church service. But Carl, that's, that's not right. I, I know that's not true. He says, there's no church, not church of any kind. I said, Carl, how do you think I got in here to see you? I know the chaplain, all right? He's, he's a friend of mine. Don't, you just didn't want to go, did you? But, well, so you're not going to call Joanne tonight. I'm not going to let you do that. He says, we don't have church here. I said, Carl, tell you what, I'm walking out of here right now. I'm walking straight down to the chaplain's office. And when he tells me, yes, there was a worship service yesterday, your boy Carl just didn't bother to show up. I'm not coming back. I'm done. Do you get it? He says, fine, fine, fine. Out of the little room, down the hallway to the chaplain's office, walk into Phil's office. He's sitting there typing. And I said, I'm Phil. I was just talking with Carl. And he says, you know, you don't have church here on Sunday. He goes, that's right. Like, what? <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't lead any kind of a worship service. I said, you don't do any worship service at all? He says, no, no. I said, then what do you do? And his face gets red, and he puffs up, and he says, hey, I've got 500 inmates in this facility. He says, on any given day, three of them get served divorce papers by their spouse. He says, now, they can't hire a lawyer. They're not going to be defended, so she's going to win everything. 
everything when they no-show the hearing. So they're going to lose everything they've ever owned, and their wife's going to take it and leave them. He says, on any given day, three of them have someone important die, a parent, a spouse, a sibling, and we don't let them out of jail, not for a funeral. That's tough break for you. He says, on any given day, three of them have their wives figure out that since they're in jail, she doesn't have to stay in the county or in the state anymore so he can visit his kids. She's free to leave. And so they find out their wife is taking the kids and they'll probably never see them again. That works out to one crisis an hour, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. That's what I do. Sorry. (laughs) Got a really hard job. I'm glad I'm not you. So, okay, thanks. I, I appreciate that. I turn to walk out of the door. I'm almost out of the door. And he says, if you think it's that important, why don't you do it? (sighs) Oh, no, no. And I think for a minute, light bulb goes on. I can't do it. I've got my own church. I've got a job on Sunday. My Sundays are completely full. And Phil says, wouldn't be on Sunday anyway. The day, uh, the room that we would use for church is the same room where families visit their inmates. So you'd have to come in on Monday. You've been here two Mondays in a row. I know you got Mondays off. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. The apostles had to decide When Jesus says, we're not staying here in your hometown, it's not going to be the ministry you anticipated, whether they would follow or not, whether they would do that. And apparently they did because the very next sentence says, and they preached throughout the country. So they said yes, and it changed their lives in ways they couldn't possibly imagine. And I'm convinced that every one of us gets offered opportunities into ministry. And I don't know what it is you're being called to, but I would suspect it may not be something you want to do. You know, maybe you're being called to be uh, the basketball mom that, that gets the other moms together to pray before a game. Maybe you're a dad and you're being called, you've got this on your heart that you need to start a a Bible study with your son, and you've never taught the Bible. You don't know how to do that, and and how do I even begin to do something like it? I don't know what ministry you are being called to, but I bet my life you are being called, and it may not be where you want to go. I spent 10 years in prison ministry. Ended up being some of the best time of my life. Um, I got my humanity back through that ministry. Uh, I realized, dealing with those guys, how frail and fragile we are and how easy it is to make the tiniest little mistake and completely derail the rest of your life in ways you can't even begin to imagine. And how, how but for the grace of God, I was maybe one stupid decision from being on that side of the glass. It, it gave me back my, my heart for how, how difficult it is to be a person. And I think it's made me a much better pastor for you 
than I would have been otherwise. Did not want to go there. (laughs) But it changed my life in a wonderful, wonderful way. Um, I have told you over and over and over, one of the, the, the main themes of the Gospel of Mark is evangelism, and that what Mark teaches us over and over is that you don't have to have a fancy program, you don't have to have a degree. All you have to do is tell the person next to you, here's what Jesus did for me. Well, that's what Jesus did for me. And if you say yes, I am absolutely convinced he will do it for you too. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. You can find us at www.pondergmc.org. There you can watch our live stream services, listen to replays of Rocky sermons, and find other interesting information about us. This has been Pondering the Bible.